Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and finally, Red Bull's winning streak came to an end on a Singapore Grand Prix weekend when Ferrari, McLaren, and Mercedes all had a shot at victory. So, how did Carlos Sainz make sure it was his team that prevailed, and why did Red Bull struggle so badly? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us with all the answers are Scott Mitchell Malm and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, it wasn't long ago that we were convening on this podcast seeing no possible reason why Red Bull wouldn't be the team to beat this weekend. I guess this just shows this weekend that you never know what's going to happen in Formula One, even at the most predictable of times, seemingly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you went in this weekend thinking, yeah, okay, it's not going to be the perfect track for Red Bull, but um, they'll probably find a way of uh, getting the car good enough and... uh, continuing on that run but um, it wasn't even close was it yeah exactly very very much uh, out of contention ultimately but it made for a great weekend in terms of the storylines and Scott Mitchell here with me in Singapore how have you enjoyed this weekend of nocturnal existence and trying to avoid the heat uh, yeah it's been nice I've, uh, I always like coming to Singapore it was a shame to miss the races during the, the pandemic I enjoyed coming back last year and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool place to be the uh, schedule is it's unique. It's a it's a curious one to adjust to. I haven't appreciated some of the the walks in, uh, especially this morning when it was uh, extremely hot but extremely sunny as well. Uh, that's when it got a little bit challenging. But I'm glad that we've been rewarded for this uh, very very long trip to this part of the world with uh, well easily the best race of the season. Exactly, and possibly the most gripping of all the Singapore Grand Prix. And it's great because this is a fantastic event, and it really is fantastic when you have such a great exciting on-track experience for everybody to uh, to get behind so let's get into it Scott we have to start with the reasons for the Red Bull juggernaut coming to a juddering halt both cars were eliminating Q2 and then fifth and eighth in the race with Verstappen and Perez so does that mean that the technical directive on flexible bodywork has scuppered it for good or is that interpretation a case of the crossed wires of correlation and causation uh, that interpretation is exactly that I think the the technical directives uh, a red herring. Um, you had the the, the flexible uh, the, the flexible bodywork, the new technical directive, and then the sort of reinforcement of the the underfloor technical directive that came in in the middle of last season. They're both talking points at the moment, and um, they didn't really have anything to do with this. Well, at least we can say that for now. If uh, if we get to Japan and uh, unexpectedly Rebel absolutely suck at Suzuka as well. I think uh, Mark wrote this in, in a PC right over the weekend. Maybe we will have to revisit that theory and give it a bit more legs. But this just say, um, this came down, I think, to, well, in the words of uh, Red Bull chief engineer Paul Monaghan and uh, also team boss Christian Horner, just a lot of plain and simple engineering. Um, it wasn't going to be a, a track that suited the RB19 perfectly. There were going to have to be compromises that took it out of its ideal window but Red Bull clearly got that slightly wrong in terms of where they started the weekend with their baseline setup that gave them all manner of problems through practice that they then were playing catch-up trying to to fix. And they made some progress on on the Saturday, um, but then made things even harder for themselves by making further changes that just made things a lot worse come qualifying. So just over one lap, they had a car that, didn't seem to be um, 
didn't seem to be able to give the drivers any any confidence in especially in the first sector whether that was the you know an ex, an exaggeration of the classic Red Bull 2023 trait of just potentially being vulnerable sometimes with tire warm up but then just inherent car problems with the with the car bottoming out under braking in in heavy braking zones and just chronic rear instability through the lap so it just seemed to have through the weekend through each part of it over one lap just a different set of problems they try and cure something they'd maybe trigger something else so it was just a it was just a transformation of easily the best car of 2023 becoming distinctly average and as Verstappen put it undrivable um, at times and it was better in the race but by that point the damage was done and it wasn't so much better in the race that it, Red Bull or Verstappen in particular could offset the deficit of the grid position in the way that we've seen him do at other tracks. I did say to Christian Horner after the race, is it almost a, a surprise this sort of thing doesn't happen more often? Because, Mark, it's very easy to have a weekend like this where you don't have the car quite right at the start of the weekend. You've got some compounding factors with some upgrades on and suddenly you end up massively behind the curve. So I think if they went into this weekend starting now, knowing what they know, it would be a very, very different story. So it just shows how easy it is to just to be knocked off that that perch where everything's going very very nicely and smoothly and suddenly you're being eliminated in q2 yeah you're you're most vulnerable at those tracks where the 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 car doesn't dovetail well with the traits of the track anyway but you you know that going in you know that each team has a sort of league table of tracks where they put where they think will be their the the level of competitiveness um and then this one was down near the bottom for red bull but down near the bottom still would normally mean that was a, a fully competitive car. Um, yeah, it just takes a couple of the wrong things to compound that, and uh, yes, then you're in trouble. They, they they arrived with a suspension that was too soft. Uh, they were uh, it's a softer suspended car than most of them anyway, um, but they uh, hadn't re- realised in the in the simulation just how much grippier the track would be in the um, the resurface parts. Um, but with the other parts of the track still very, very bumpy, it created this no man's land for the car's setup. Now, the car can normally run lower than all the other cars because of its floor and the combination of its floor and suspension, which is part of its advantage normally. Um, but th- th- it means that when you have to raise the right height to accommodate sort of curbs and bumps that you get here, um, it was out of its the, the normal window the normal um sort of right height window that the aerodynamics of the car are uh, optimized around and so it was suddenly in this awful period awful this sort of part of its setup that it had never encountered before and um yeah they made a few um decisions to try and minimize the the damage of that um and in some of the cases it just made things worse and they were nearly there in fp3 that stiffened the car up quite a lot and it was within three tenths of the ferraris um but then it, it, it they tried to sort of tweak it a little bit more for qualifying and basically ran it too low and uh yeah it, it, it gave the Give the lurid car that we we all saw, um, very unreadable like car that was just wasn't. It was just skating over the top of the surface of the track, wasn't it? It was just it was not tires weren't digging in at all, um, and it just it was nowhere near its sweet spot in qualifying. Just shows how critical these cars can be in terms of how well they work. And Scott, as you mentioned, we've got Suzuka coming up next. I guess if anybody listening to this is sceptical and thinks, well, it must be the technical directive, they must have been knocked back in terms of the way it's performing aero-wise, I guess Suzuka's going to be the final answer on that because it's such an aero-dependent track, very, very different to here, that if Red Bull's back in business there, which it should be, that pretty much does confirm that this was just a, a blip for the reasons we've discussed. Yeah, in much the same way that the upgraded floor that they had, and or at least Max Verstappen had uh, on on his car on on Friday, that then got taken off for the rest of the weekend, will be back on the car in Japan. You'd imagine, and you'd also imagine will work absolutely fine. And as Ribble expects, the 
The slight difference between the two is that Red Bull obviously has emphatic proof that it had it was nothing to do with the new the new floor because they took it off and the car still sucked pretty much on Saturday. So uh, that's when they had all the problems and that was with the old floor. So it definitely wasn't that. Obviously, we don't have conclusive, 100% emphatic evidence that the TD did absolutely nothing. Red Bull's adamant it hasn't changed anything with the way that they run any of their components or that they've had to change any of the components. But... We'll get a clearer picture at Suzuka and over the next races, but I would be very surprised if we don't go there. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be starting the Japanese Grand Prix podcast, I think, with the traditional question to Mark about how Max Verstappen and Red Bull won the race. Yeah, there's every chance of that. If it's not, then uh, there'll be some big questions. But yeah, the, the TD and the various other bits, there were some little bits and pieces on the floor related to previous TDs that were being tidied up as well. But yeah, the general consensus, and that's actually what other teams are thinking about Red Bull as well, is that probably it, it's not down to that. And it's just this collision of various circumstances that we've run through. But Mark, before we get into the rest of the race, we should probably just cover off what happens to Verstappen and Perez in the race, because obviously they both started on hards. But it didn't really work for them the way the the race played out, did it? No, it absolutely didn't. The the safety car came far too early um, for them to be able to take advantage of a safety car pit stop because they would have had to put mediums on at that stage and there was still another 42 laps to go. So, yeah, they had to stay out there. Um, So it made them vulnerable on the restarts on old hard tyres. And then they just sunk back, you know, further and further, getting slower all the time hoping that there'd be another safety car to sort of neutralise the effect of that first one. But, of course, it didn't come. And, uh, yeah, they had to take a pit stop at full, you know, with, with the pack at full racing speed. So they lost around 29 seconds to the pack there. And, uh, you know, when you look at the slow pace that Sainz had imposed on the field, if they hadn't had that disadvantage, if they hadn't, you know, been unable to... If they, if they hadn't had any, the, the same pit stop time loss of it as everyone else, Verstappen would have been in that pack, um, you know, quite conceivably sort of just behind the Mercs chasing chasing down the um, the McLaren and the, and Leclerc, uh, you know, after the VSC on, on much newer rubber. Um, not that the Red Bull was as fast as those cars, it wasn't, but it that almost wouldn't have mattered because science had constrained the the, the pace to you know, such a, a slow slow um, pace that it, the, everybody would have been compressed and Max would have been right in among that pack. But um, yeah, that's just how it that's just how it went. Yeah, Verstappen ended up fifth and Perez ended up eighth. Obviously, Scott Perez wasn't a problem for Red Bull this weekend as occasionally he has been in terms of performance. He was in a similar ballpark to Verstappen most of the weekend, but he did have quite an attacking race, didn't he? He had contact with Sonoda early on and Albon late on. Attacking is one way to put it. Uh, Slightly clumsy might be another one. I thought actually the Sonoda incident on the first lap was just classic first lap shenanigans, uh, slightly optimistic move from Perez, but absolutely not 100% to blame or you know I don't even think there's any question of a portion in blame in that Sonoda's turned in as if someone's not there Perez has tried to be opportunistic that sort of thing happens I think that was absolutely fine the um, what's the word to use the absolute lunge (laughs) on Alex Albon uh, was absolutely worthy of a penalty You, you can't you can't do that. You can't just throw it down the inside, drive into the other car and basically put them in the wall. And I also think we talked, um, I think it was after, it must have been after Monza where we had one of the members club questions was about the use of the five second penalty. This was another example of how like, if we are going to have these in-race penalties and we are going to take action on drivers that get things wrong like that, you you really do need to move into a, a way of, of actually properly punishing people for this because Perez, are you saying that the five second penalty that dropped him from eighth to eighth didn't do anything exactly like in that situation um you you are just indirectly incentivizing a driver in a faster car to put another car in the wall basically because all you know that you're going to pull that race time on them because all you'll get is a five second penalty uh, that i have a i have a problem with that 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 i thought was really sloppy 
yeah, one of my uh, hobby horses on penalties is you shouldn't have penalties that you can effectively spend in that way. So, yeah, I have to think maybe a little bit more about that. But ultimately, yeah, Perez's performance level this weekend was fine. The car was the problem and yeah eighth place Verstappen was fifth okay Verstappen had a slightly better race but uh, yeah it was very much a Red Bull trouble weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, Mark, we can get on to the rest of the race now because a number of drivers could have won this Grand Prix. The bare facts of Sainz's victory couldn't really be more straightforward because they led from start to finish. He started on pole position. But there's actually a lot more to this, isn't there? Yes. Um, he had, first of all, the, the buy-in of the support of his teammate Charles Leclerc, who was acting as his tail gunner. He, he got up to second place at the start, taking advantage of the soft tyres that he had with everybody else on the mediums. Um, and then he was sort of backing, backing away from science as as required, um, in you know, holding everybody up. And part of that was, he explained later, was to ensure that when he did stop, because he would obviously be stopping quite a lot earlier than, than science because of his soft tyres, he didn't inadvertently sort of undercut himself ahead of science. Um, I'm sure he'd have been gutted for that to happen after 2019. Exactly, exact same thing, exact happened, same to thing happened to him with with Vettel, Vettel was defending from an undercut, and they, um, the the undercut was much more powerful than Ferrari had realised, and they undercut Vettel in front of uh, Leclerc, who led from pole up to that point, and uh, he wasn't interested. Uh, Vettel wasn't interested in uh, reverting, so um, yeah. But uh, Charles had bought into this, and he was afterwards saying, you know, it's a pity that on this one opportunity that we've got to win in, I, I was in this position of, of having to be the support driver, but he said, that's down to me. I should have qualified better. And, it, you know, so they clearly had, Ferrari had clearly planned this, um, you know, how to win this race uh, in, a, in quite a strategic way. And clearly Leclerc had bought into the plan because none of this was coming as a surprise to him. Um he sort of fell out of contention with the timing of the safety car because it meant he, he was stacked behind signs and then there was further delays. He had to be held uh, for, for traffic. And so then the contenders were um, George Russell and um, Lando Norris. And, they, they, you know, they, if there was the slightest little gap that they could have gone for the undercut and, and got out in a, in a gap... Um, then science was very, very vulnerable because the, the Ferrari wasn't good on tyre deck. So science was running the race very, very conservatively um, at a very conservative place, not just to ensure he didn't put too much strain on his tyres, but also to ensure that no gaps opened up at the pack. So there was a time when he was lapping no quicker than Logan Sargent's Williams, and it was just the whole pack was like a 17-car, just a, a trailing bunch of cars um with the earlier pitted Joe Guan Yu hanging off the back of it somewhere and um yeah that that meant there was just no opportunity to use the you know the undercut uh, threat and uh, it was it was very very effective and then the lap 20 safety car ensured everybody piled in at the same time everybody was on the medium tire piled in at the same time so there was no strategic variation there either and so that pack remained compressed and signs even signs himself saying I could drive all day at this pace. Like I've got like a second in hand, and the relay to this to Russell. He said, "I'm surprised he didn't say two seconds." But it was it was of that order, you know. That's that's how that's how closely controlled he was making pack. It was like a, you know, if you get on pole at Monaco, you can pretty much 
dictate the pace um, and, and run at whatever pace you, you choose and you, you're not really in much danger. It was a bit like that. Until, of course, the VSC um, for Ocon's broken down Alpine created this opportunity for Mercedes to come in and stick some new mediums on and come back. I think it came out 17 seconds or 15 seconds behind, something like that, but lapping two seconds or more quicker. And, of course, that became that that's what brought the race alive without without that late vsc that would have been a very very dull stalemate sort of race i think um but this this brought the two mercs into victory contention and then of course we had the little the little detail of um carlos allowing lando to uh, get drs to keep from being passed by the mercedes and thereby keeping the mercedes off his back and scott you enjoyed that bold Mercedes strategy didn't you you were reveling in that in the race just because it was nice to see them attacking yeah absolutely I, I just thought the way it was playing out there was no way of winning that Grand Prix in a in a straight fight I mean the only reason I think signs became slightly vulnerable to the end was because the Mercedes were attacking and coming at them fast I don't think signs could manage the pace in the way that he had been so comfortably when he was just controlling a one stop for everybody. Um, so then when he was, you know, was it like two or three laps from the end where he said his front tyres were finished? I don't think those front tyres are anywhere near finished if he's controlling a one stop. So just don't see any point where his pace drops off enough for Russell to mount an attack. And Lewis was stuck as well. Was Lewis fourth or fifth when when that ha- when they, they made that decision to, to stop? So um, they were in a... They, they, it's not that they were stuck in bad positions. It was just that that was kind of how the race would would peter out, and it'd be quite a frustrating end to not to a race that they wouldn't win. Whereas this way, they they switched to an attacking race. They could be on the front foot, and that just made it way more interesting for us. But it gave them something that the others didn't have, and it put them in a position to knit, to to win. And and it so nearly came off. I know we'll come to Russell properly in a bit, but. Regardless of whether you think that you know roles reverse would would Hamilton have been able to to nip ahead of Norris in the way that Russell didn't the f- the very fact that the Mercedes was in a position to really really threaten for the win that much was purely because of that strategic call. Absolutely, and Toto Wolff was asked whether they gave any consideration to swapping them round, but they said no, we're going to let them fight it out. And although obviously there was a little bit of disappointment in Mercedes that they ended up with a third place in a race that. Potentially a one-two was not beyond the realms of possibility. I think the fact that this team that's been struggling so much for so long, I think they really reveled in having a, a nice, lively racing finish to the race. So I think the lift the team will get from that will be uh, will be quite significant. And he certainly said he didn't regret them going with that strategy uh, approach. So they do it again because it was the right uh, attacking way to go. But I have to say, I, I was really impressed with what Science did because it looks so easy just to sit at the front and control the pace, but it is so easy to get it wrong. And when he backed up to, to Norris and made sure that he gave Norris the DRS. That was really important because I think if the Mercs had breached Norris's defences immediately when they caught him, which was possible, they had a go, then it could have been a very different story. Maybe that was where the win got away from uh, Mercedes. But to have that precision, as as Science did, to make sure he, he let Norris into DRS, but not dangerously so, was very, very well executed. And I think the whole weekend by Science was, uh, was really well done, which actually, Mark, brings us to a question from the Race Members Club, which is pertinent to answer at this point, that comes from Thomas Knights, who asks, did this weekend underline further how much value Science brings to Ferrari? And keeping him should be a no-brainer. And is his speed underrated, as he can obviously push Leclerc, who is considered one of the fastest drivers? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a, he's a quality driver and um, a big asset to Ferrari, and um, I think he's been a major part in um, the, the the latter half of the the season that the Ferrari becoming a more consistent car. He's he's, he's sort of there was a particular test where he he asked to try something that he'd been asking to try all year, and they they let him do it, and it it worked, and have been going in that direction ever since. And then he's he's used the summer break to have a sit down with his engineering team and and just talk through, you know, how they can improve, how how they can be better. And uh, yeah, when he's got everything working for him, um, he's absolutely formidable. I think Leclerc is still ultimately um, a slightly naturally faster driver, um, but those those small differences um, can be uh, overcome by 
just a better setup or a, a better working out of how to use the tires or you know just better use of the controls so it, it, it's close enough that those things decide which of them is ahead and uh, yeah he's, he's come he's a, a particular asset to the team and i think um they'd be wise to to look to to try and retain him yeah, certainly Sainz would like to stay there. So I think getting that deal done would make a, a lot of sense for Ferrari. But he really has been impressive, Sainz, since the August break. He's been quick all year. He was comfortable with the car all year, but things weren't quite coming together. But, you know, Zandvoort on paper wasn't great for the results, but he overachieved in a car that was really struggling. Monza, he was really strong. Here, he was really strong. So I've, I've been really impressed. This is probably the best mini run of Sainz's Ferrari career. Yeah, I think he's been absolutely outstanding. And um, he... I asked him actually after after the race if he feels that this has been a level of performance that has been sustained for a while or if it's really come together after the summer break in that run that you know we've talked about. We talked about it after Monza, didn't we? How good he was at, at Zandvoort and then he was excellent at Monza again. Absolutely outstanding here. And he says that he felt before the summer break he'd got into a really good position in terms of what this car needed and how to drive it but the weekends weren't being pieced together properly. And that was a big focus of his over the summer break. How do I make sure that this is all hooked up? And absolutely full credit to him. He's come out after the summer break and just pieced together this really great run of form. He's um, he's added that really, really strong one lap pace to his game. Um, we, we know how good he is in pressure moments. I'm not surprised at all that he has the capacity to manage a race you know Fred Vasseur said that the you know the the DRS trick with keeping Lando in in the DRS range was entirely on signs it wasn't something that you know Ferrari imposed or anything like that so Carlos was controlling this from within doesn't surprise me he's a very cerebral driver but he's quicker than people give him credit for and I think he's shown that obviously with his pole positions but I think to do it so emphatically indicates to me that he has made a step and, and really he's clicking really nicely with this car at the moment. Yeah, and he's starting weekend strong and just things are coming together really, really nicely, which I think is a great testament to his ability. You know, we always talk about science being the slower Ferrari driver, and he is, but we're talking by a very, very small amount. And I think probably the key moment for him this weekend was how well he managed to manage the tyre over the single qualifying lap because actually the really decisive moment on the qualifying lap was the last couple of corners, really, in terms of making sure he was the one who was ahead. So Leclerc was cast as the, uh, was cast as the, uh, the rear gunner. So, yeah, Sainz just did everything right this weekend, and this is a very well-deserved win. This is a, what, probably one of his most impressive weekends in terms of the way he put everything together. Don't mistake a lights-to-flag controlling the race uh, victory for something very, very easy. There were a lot of ways for him to lose that race. Let's come back to George Russell, though, Scott. Toto Wolff described it 99.9% of a fantastic weekend for Russell. But then, of course, he ended up in the wall on the last lap. You heard from him after the race. So how did he take that? Uh, unsurprisingly, not very well. Uh, I think the peak of the emotion had faded by the time he came over to us. And at that stage, it was probably about an hour or so after he'd actually put the car in the wall. Um, but, you know, he described, you know, he said it was a pathetic mistake. Uh, he said he was heartbroken. And actually, he said something that I was thinking when I saw him sort of doing the TV pen, which was that it must be that we we know George can get emotional for good reasons and bad reasons. Bad example being obviously when he when he lost that win on his Mercedes debut at the Sakir Grand Prix in 2020. Um, He got very emotional when he and Williams and Nicholas Latifi got that great result in Hungary in 2021. Um, and here he's got very emotional because as I was sort of interpreting it, um, you've got the sort of physical element of just an absolutely exhausting Grand Prix, mentally draining as well because the concentration's so high, the emotions of throwing it away on the last lap and the frustration of knowing that that was probably the chance to win a race this year and all of that sort of comes together and that's why he could feel it you know he looked like he was um, almost in tears at times speaking to TV like I say a bit calmer when he came over to us but he was clearly trying to focus on the positives didn't want it to detract from how good the rest of the weekend has been but he even said you know he's he's made a couple of stupid mistakes in his F1 career now you think of a couple that he's made uh, at Williams in particular was it 2020 at Imola um, under the safety car so he knows that for some reason it's possible for him to have this tiny lapse of concentration that has a, it's a silly error, but it has huge consequences. And 
that that is a that has to be a takeaway from this race from for him. If if it's not, he won't improve on it. And one thing that Russell is very good at is when he does have his scrappy weekends or his silly mistakes like this one, he does learn from them and and he does come back stronger for it. And this is a painful way of finding that out because you know he was quicker than Lewis Hamilton this weekend over one lap. I think Hamilton, I think anyway, looked like he was stronger in that final stint, but Russell was the one that had track position. But despite an overall better weekend, Russell's come out of it putting it in the wall. Hamilton's come out of it with another podium. He's third in the Drivers' Championship. And the gap between them in the Championship is massive now. And I know that Russell's had a couple of issues completely out of his control contribute to that. But that it, those weekends add up, don't they? When Hamilton's constantly cashing in great weekends and mitigating bad ones. And Russell's just too a bit more hit and miss. I was very impressed that George Russell in a modern Grand Prix car where you don't see much of the driver, they've not got much freedom to move. He looked really dejected after he'd sort of hit the wall. Just, just, I don't know how he managed to do it. I've never seen in a modern Grand Prix car a driver look so dejected because they can barely move. You would think with the amount of uh, how much you're strapped in in your harness, it's not pos- possible to physically slump in an F1 car, <laughs> but, but, but George gave it a red-hot go, didn't he? Absolutely. And Toto Wolff was quick to say after the race, well, you know, this is a learning experience of him. You know, he was going for a victory. There wasn't a championship at stake or anything. So, you know, he was happy that he went for it. So he's being supportive of his driver. Let's get on to Alpine now, Mark, because as is the style of this particular team, Alpine managed to have a pretty good day that should have been a lot better as well. Pierre Gasly came through to finish sixth, which was the position Esteban Ocon was in when he retired with that gearbox problem. So how quick was the upgraded Alpine this weekend? Um, lower end Q3, um, which, you know, given uh, the... the Terrible performance at Monza must have um, given them some cheer, um, but yeah, that, that that sort of McLaren battle that they used to be in that that's long gone. Um, so yeah, they're 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 about you know potentially a eighth ninth qualifying position car, and when they can put a good race together, uh, you know that, that that can give them a handy. Only round of points, but um, yeah, nothing they're too excited about. Yeah, I did like Ocon's drive, actually. He made some good passes. I thought that was a real shame that he retired because he had done <laughs> such a good job. But yeah, sometimes uh, you won't get the result that your performance deserves. Scott, let's talk about Liam Lawson now because he made his mark with his first F1 points in ninth. This is only his third Grand Prix, of course. He made Q3 for the first time as well, not Verstappen out, which was uh, quite uh, an irony. But how impressed were you with what Lawson did? Uh, really, really impressed. Just a uh... An, another good step on from Monza, which in itself had been a good step on from a debut at Zandvoort that he handled really well, considering it was a baptism of, well, very wet fire. Um, at Monza, he was closer to the car's potential, even though I think he probably did lack a bit more to Yuki Sonoda, but Sonoda underachieved as well. And then Sonoda didn't obviously complete the Grand Prix or didn't even start that Grand Prix so we didn't have a, a good reference there and it's same again here amazingly Sonoda didn't even finish the first lap um, but so so we didn't have the reference for Lawson but I can't see a world in which Sonoda achieves much more than Lawson did in, in, in this Grand Prix uh, maybe same position similar position but a few seconds further up the road um, I thought Lawson was, was was excellent looked really really comfortable with the car he was very excited about coming here and racing here because he used to really like really liked this track when he was younger and wanted to come to the to the race with his parents um so he looked really comfortable in it he didn't seem overawed by by the fact that the track's so challenging really good job in qualifying knocking out max verstappen is a pretty remarkable way to make q3 for the first time um i like that he then fought verstappen pretty hard in the grand prix at one point um he's just like he's not i use the word just now but like he's just not overawed by anything i think his mindset to f1 and this opportunity has been absolutely stellar and the execution ain't half bad either so so to come out of this with a couple of points it's just well look i think sonoda's got three points all season so lawson is now properly properly done what logan Sargent hasn't done all season so he's ahead of a full-time driver in the championship nick de vries had what 10 races in the car didn't score any points ricardo had a couple didn't score points in either of those races yes the alpha tower is upgraded and is a better car now but fair play to Lawson for what he's doing with it. Yeah, and I have to say I was impressed with Lawson's approach 
throughout the weekend. They had some upgrades on that car. So Sonoda was really positive on Friday, but Lawson didn't get too carried away with it. He was saying, well, I'm sort of still feeling my way in, so I'll be guided by what Yuki says. Jodie Eggington, their technical director, was saying uh, earlier today that he likes what Lawson's doing in terms of the fact that Lawson's giving good feedback, but he's not overplaying his hand or thinking he knows more than he does. Just really, really sensible approach, as well as showing a, a decent turn of speed. I would say that Lawson, over these three Grand Prix weekends, and of course the first one was a shortened one, has done pretty much as much as you can ask of a driver. So that could have some interesting driver market ramifications we'll come back to later on. But those upgrades were working well. They've had this late entry stability in low and medium speed corners all season that seemed to improve that slightly difficult to say for certain here because lots of short duration corners here at Singapore not a great test track Zuzuka will tell us more but Sonoda seemed really happy with the feel of the car and they were confident they put some aero load on it as well so yeah good day for AlphaTauri in that regard despite the fact Sonoda's race didn't last past the first lap Mark let's talk about Haas because they returned to the points thanks to Kevin Magnussen in 10th where did his performance come from? Because he's been struggling for months, and then he suddenly popped up with sixth on the grid. Yeah, the, the, I mean the Haas was working very well around um, Singapore, and it did it did seem to like um, it seems quite insensitive to um, ride height changes. It, it it just seems to be, you know, much the same at a high ride uh, ride height as a low ride height, it, 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 which is unusual um it usually works its tires too hard um but i think the fact that science in a car which also works its tires too hard was imposing such an extremely slow pace on the field allowed the Haas drivers to you know not not suffer the the usual consequences of the the, the overheating rear tires and um so they were just able to just cruise it along and look after the tires the, the Haas is a car that will benefit from these kind of short duration corners as well. It has that similar kind of, um, not weakness is a slightly wrong word because obviously Nico Hülkenberg shows just how fast it can be when you can handle it. But on those sort of combination entry corners, when you're trying, trying to, to balance the, the steering and the brake at the, at the same time, it is a difficult car to to master certainly for 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 magnuson it it doesn't suit the way that magnuson naturally wants to drive magnuson feels that he has made some progress in sort of slightly tuning himself to what the car needs and also bringing the car a little bit more to to what he wants but his his suggestion was that his extra performance this weekend is he felt very comfortable and confident in the car from the start because the way that he wants to drive the car is less punishing on a track like this where those corners are your more 90 degree ones where you're kind of just you get it stopped and then you can just turn it in you don't have to worry about sort of the corner coming back round on you almost and then dealing with whatever the car is going to do on on the exit there so i said to him after qualifying given he did such a good job it was it was validation of what he'd been saying i think he told us at monza that he felt he'd made progress but just the car hasn't been in the right window or at the right tracks for him to show that progress. And he's like, good, now I'm not just talking. I've actually done something to back it up. And then to come out of that and follow it up with a 10th place, you know, points not, not a huge amount to write home with, but it's what reduced the Williams deficit by 10%, I think. So, you know, every little helps. And maybe with a brand new car basically coming for the US Grand Prix, maybe Haas isn't entirely out of that championship fight. And maybe this won't be the only points finished before the end of the season. Exactly, and Hulkenberg was a little bit unfortunate in the race. He lost some ground at that first pit stop because he was the second car in a double stack, which isn't ideal, but he was hanging around. There's a, there's a pathway this race could have taken that could have had Hulkenberg in the points as well because he also qualified reasonably well. So, yeah, good day for Haas. Let's just quickly come back to Albon. We mentioned his incident with Perez. I think we've had your view on that one, but it wasn't Williams' track, was it? So for Albon to be able to feel a bit aggrieved that he didn't get a point, was probably quite a surprise really wasn't it yeah um he wasn't um particularly happy or comfortable in the car um he i'm drawing a blank he'd lost track time hadn't he in in practice yeah there was a battery problem on the first day in fp1 and he did say after qualifying that he was playing catch up and he didn't really feel he'd fully caught up so a little bit on the back foot all the way through the weekend yeah and when you've got that in a situation where the you know the car's not suited to the track I mean this was 
ultimately a race where getting into Q2 was job very well done for, for Williams and Albon did that. And then I guess you survive, you, you, you persevere for as long as you can, you try to avoid making mistakes and you try and have as good a race car as possible. And Albon and Williams kind of had like 90% of all of that, but ultimately just, it just wasn't fast enough. You know, the Alpha Tauri and the Haas was, was quicker and, and better and had, cleaner races and that that's why they were able to sneak into the points but Albon wasn't quite able to pull off one of his extra extra little bits of her uh, heroics I think it might be worth Mark just briefly returning close to the front of the field because we didn't get into McLaren too much we talked about Norris's role in the race but obviously that car was significantly upgraded Norris the second place that matches his career best and also in the other car Oscar Piastri which wasn't the upgraded car he had seventh place, which was a, a good performance, good points haul for them. So positive for McLaren as well. Yet more progress going on there. Yes. And, um, you know, Piastri was unlucky to go out in Q1 because of the the red flag for the Lance Stroll accident. So, he, you know, he shouldn't really have been starting all the way down there. And he made a, a really good recovery. He probably should have, had he been in his natural starting position, um, he could probably have got another place or two in the race, I'm sure. Um, but the, yeah, the the upgrade is looks to be about three three and a half tens faster than the old car around Singapore anyway, and um, that was pretty much what they were um, hoping for because the simulation had suggested quite a nice chunky um, lap time gain. Uh, that put it, you know, where it put it, it it's not quite it wasn't quite on the um, Ferrari pace, but it was nip and tuck you know with um mercedes and it was it's maintained that um trajectory that we've seen since the big austria upgrade yeah very positive weekend for mclaren who are very much in that fight for victory with lando norris we'll get back to the pod in a moment but first a word about our partner grammarly no matter what kind of work you do how you communicate is key All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, as per tradition, we'll finish off the podcast by answering questions from the Race Members Club. For more on the Race Members Club, head to therace.com and click on Join the Race. And thanks so much to everyone who supports us because it really does make all the difference. Mark, first a question from Jack Aitkin. As always, it's our Jack Aitkin rather than the ex-Williams F1 driver who does inform us he was at the track. In fact, toughing out the rather challenging spectating conditions. I hope you enjoyed the race. But the question is, have the last two weeks been the finest of Carlos? Science's career. Oh yeah, I'd say so, definitely. I think um, you couldn't have asked for anything more. You had that brilliant fighting performance at Monza, um, followed up by the, by this, you know, absolutely flawless victory from Paul. Um, very demanding um, situation in both both times, and uh, he's a big part of why the car is working so well as well. So yeah, absolutely, he's um, he's. Absolutely the the height of his career, I would say, at the moment. Next up, a question for you, Scott, from Tom Bannister, who says, why was Max let off on all incidents in qualifying when usually at least one would have resulted in a grid drop? It seems to have gone against what the FIA has been doing all season. Well, a couple of them, I think, were sort of easier to to understand. The the one in the pit lane when he didn't pull away when he should have. I can see why the FIA kind of had carte blanche to rule on that as they saw fit. You know, there was a an element of impeding in there certainly um but it wasn't um it wasn't egregious it didn't ruin anyone's qualifying so i think that would have been harsh if that had been met with a grid penalty uh the there was one that he got um there was 
the the was it the Logan Sergeant one, which I think Sergeant said, um, you know, Verstappen didn't do anything. That was the one towards the end of the lap, which was just there. There was such a mess in in, in Q one in particular. So I think that one, when they looked at it, when they heard what Sergeant had to say, I think they were happy enough with that not being something that merited um, a grid penalty. The one that's uh, most egregious and does go against sort of everything else we've seen, not just this year, but in the past, is not getting a penalty for impeding Yuki Tsunoda. Um, and the stewards at this event, because the stewards aren't the same at every race, and we've ex- talked in previous podcasts about why we pretty much all think that's a bad thing, Um the stewards at this race felt that the fact that Verstappen didn't get warned by his team was a mitigating circumstance and therefore Verstappen shouldn't be severely punished because it wasn't a severe offence on his part. So there was an overall punishment of a reprimand for him and then a fine for the team, which was a shift away. And and, and I think Sargent got the same for an incident with Lance Stroll. Um, Sergeant and Williams got the same penalty so it wasn't like Verstappen favouritism but it was a clear thing with the stewards here in Singapore that just felt all of a sudden that poor radio communication from the team means the driver shouldn't get a grid penalty but that goes against pretty much every precedent um, from this um, however much you believe precedent should or do- should or shouldn't or does or doesn't exist in FIA um, officialdom and it especially contrasts badly with what the stewards at Monaco earlier this year said when the reason Leclerc got a penalty for Ferrari completely stitching him up with a failing to notify him Lando Norris was approaching and qualifying was because the stewards said that there is no reason that you can't, basically said that you can't have poor communication from the team as a mitigating circumstance because it's imperative that you have good communication at all times. So, yeah, it's a, it's a mess. I think it's bad. I think it's a bad look. I don't think there's any justifiable explanation, even though the stewards are within their right to judge each uh, incident um, independently and draw their own conclusions from each individual event. The reason this matters more is that this theoretically sets a precedent, which means that if a team wants to willingly imp- impede and screw over another driver, as you were saying earlier, it can spend that penalty. It can choose not to radio its driver and tell him there's someone coming, impede that driver, and just take a €5,000 fine and a reprimand. The joy of stewarding decisions and inconsistency, a great rich vein to be, uh, be mined in our, our members' club questions on pretty much every single podcast. Next up, a question from Jeremy Husted, which I'll take for reasons that will become apparent. The question is, does George Russell throwing away a probable win further call into question his status as a dead-set future world champion? Ed's comments on being more sceptical of Russell's status during a recent podcast and his performance today spawned this question. I didn't want to sound too sceptical about George Russell. There are a few things I want him to uh, to tick off, shall we say. I don't think at the point he went off, there was a win on the cards anymore. There was a way to, to win the race, but they need to get past Norris earlier. But ultimately, uh, you, you can think back and... All of these great drivers have had instances like this. I can remember Lewis Hamilton, even after he'd won his first world championship, sticking his McLaren in the wall at Lesmo, at Monza, right near the end of a race, just trying to chase something that perhaps wasn't there. So it's all about learning from it. I think Russell's got a lot of the qualities needed to be a world champion, and we know he's going to be with Mercedes for at least a few more years. But I do want to just see those little errors being eliminated. This is a a learning experience. So, yeah, is he a dead set future world champion I wouldn't necessarily say dead set but he's definitely trending that way and I would be more surprised if he didn't win a world championship than if he did let's put it that way a very high quality driver Mark next up for you a question from Ben Johnson who says Red Bull's form dip at Singapore reminds me of similar performance dips for Mercedes early in their hybrid era dominance has Singapore become somewhat of an outlier circuit with what it demands of modern car design concepts yeah it has a little bit because with the ground effect cars you're relying on this very very low ride height to maximize the underflow performance and when you get to bumpy tracks or tracks where you need to use a lot of curb um it it can yeah it it can upset the cars we saw very dramatically with red bull this weekend um so yeah it probably is a little bit of an outlier um but you know that's not there's nothing wrong with that Next up, a question for you, Scott, from Danny Elliott, who says, am I biased for seeing a Red Bull not win or was this the best race of the season so far? Uh, no, I don't think you're biased, Danny. I think it was the best race of the season so far. And, and that comes down to the fact that there was just intrigue to the end and there was an actual fight for the win. You know, it's, it's great when a Grand Prix has lots of storylines to it and 
if Max Verstappen is off in the distance winning, there's always something to look out for and, and to watch. But there's nothing, nothing like a fight for the win. This was open until the end. They had an extra strategic element because of that Mercedes switch to the two-stop. Um, so th- th- there was just loads. There was just loads going for for, for this race. It's um, it, it it took off in the way that this kind of Grand Prix can because that if. That, that could easily have just um, ticked over into quite a boring one-stop where Sainz just keeps everybody at bay and a massive train behind. And we wouldn't be sat here saying that it, 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 it was so good. But it was good because that did change and there were factors and variables within the race that made it super interesting. I, I can't think of another race this year that was... Um, that was quite as entertaining. I really liked um, I, I really liked Canada for, for for different reasons, and that one was where we had three different cars um, in the top three positions, but it, it, it lacked something because ultimately the the Verstappen win was never quite at risk. Next up, a question I'll take from Thomas Knights, who says, given its struggles at times this season, was this a needed good weekend from Haas? And were they unlucky not to bank a few more points this weekend? I mean, there was a very chance they could have done fractionally better they were ahead of Lawson earlier on with both cars but uh, I think I think 10th they'd have they'd have signed on the dotted line for that at the start of the race and I think it is needed for the team because it's a horrible situation when you've got a really fast car but you know it's going to be a real struggle on Sunday and I think they needed a lift because another day where they started well up the order and then just dropped back to 15th and 17th wouldn't have been fun so yeah very much needed and of course it keeps them in that championship battle that that 14 battle for 7th with Williams and Alfa Romeo and Alfa Tauri next up Mark a question from Daniel Woodford who says do you think we could see McLaren begin to shift their attention and focus more to Oscar Piastri rather than Ando Norris given the talk about a potential move to Red Bull within the next few seasons is it worth McLaren investing more in Oscar rather than Lando oh I think if I was McLaren I would um, be doing all that I could to, to to keep that driver pairing together because it's a it's an epic driver pairing that or it will be as as Piastri you know fills in his missing data banks and then becomes you know a fully rounded performer we've seen the potential that he's got and Lando is already operating at a fantastically high level day you know race in race out um, so I would be doing my utmost to try and convince Lando that this is the place where he, he should be in the future and um, just try to keep that pairing together. I, I certainly wouldn't be um, trying to uh, favour one driver over another. I'd be trying to, to keep them both. You know, ultimately, Norris is under lock and key to the end of 25 and Piastri's an outstanding driver as well. So, yeah, great lineup. I'd agree with that. Scott, question for you from Christopher Conroe, who says a question about AlphaTauri. Could you foresee Yuki Tsunoda being asked to step aside for a few races with his position assured for the following season so they can evaluate Liam Lawson against Daniel Ricciardo directly? Or has Lawson's performance been convincing enough for the organisation to bet on him, keeping Ricciardo as a reserve driver, if at all? Uh, I don't know exactly where it is in terms of pen to paper, but I'm pretty sure we're getting to the point now where there will be news fairly soon about what Red Bull's doing with its various drivers. And I suspect we'll see Ricardo and Sonoda in in the cars uh, next season full time, which begs the question of what Red Bull will do with Lawson. He's He's clearly too good to be put on the sidelines I think we hinted at this on a previous podcast and yet I'll stress again, this was not my original idea. I've just come around to it massively. I think Red Bull should be doing everything to get Lawson in the Williams next season. I think sending him to Williams on a one or two year loan deal alongside Albon, a driver Red Bull knows very well, so will have its own opinion on exactly how good Albon is. Um, I think that makes a a lot of sense. Uh, Basically, Ricardo is a massive asset and seemed to be performing quite well in the two races that he did um, before the, the the summer break, um, before obviously breaking his um, breaking his hand, and Red Bull won't want to get rid of him. They have an option on him, I believe, for at least next season. So it's very easy to keep him. And Yuki Tsunoda comes with financial backing from Honda and has been doing a very good job this year. So I'd be surprised if they shunted Yuki aside. Lawson is the easiest one to just wait on, but I do think it's got to be a priority for Red Bull to get him in a car. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now, and. This race is just further proof that if you put him back on the sidelines next year, it's just a waste of everybody's time. And there's a connected question from Danny Elliott that I'll take. He says, Lawson finished strongly with a ninth place finish and Sonoda was unfortunate to barely complete any distance. Does Lawson have a chance at a full-time seat next season if he finishes strongly in Japan? If yes, is it alongside Sonoda or Ricardo? Well, Scott, you've answered large amounts of that, but I think 
fundamentally, the absolute key thing here is Lawson has done enough to show that he deserves to be on the grid next year. He's proved himself eminently capable, not just of showing good pace, but also just the way he puts things together, the way he deals with the the challenges, the pressure, the complexities of Formula One. I don't think he's going to get into an Alfa Tauri. Would it be alongside Sonoda Ricardo if he did? That's a pretty difficult choice. I, you know, you'd almost say with the trajectory that they're on, they'd be better off with Sonoda and Lawson because Ricardo is a, is an older driver. But equally, Ricardo's tremendously able and is a, a big star, which is great for that team. But I don't think that's going to happen. That's a moot point. So yeah, they need to find somewhere for him, and the only place is Williams. It's a question of how that can be done. But Lawson has done exactly what any driver in this position wants to do. He's pulled himself in from the margins, from the periphery of the driver market, and he's just made himself top of the list of available drivers who've shown they can do a job, and you cannot ask for more than that. Mark, a question from Timopat Diffisi, who says, from my son Reggie, who is a Lewis fan. Lewis seemed not very happy during the cool-down room and podium. Any idea why? Did he think the team should have let him pass Russell? He sounded like he thought he was quicker. I think he was quicker in that last stint, and generally in in, in the races, he's he's being a bit quicker, but um, I think he was very, very disappointed with himself looking back over the weekend about his qualifying performance. And, you know, there was no sort of, you know, um, factor which which you could explain it away. He was just slower by a significant amount, three-tenths, something like that, than George around this circuit. And it's a circuit in which he's put in some spellbinding qualifying performances in, in the past. And I think it's just, you know, had he had he delivered in qualifying in the way that he would normally expect himself to do um, in a car which George Russell showed was capable of qualifying in the front row, then he feels, I think, that um, he could have won this race. And he's probably questioning himself as to what, you know, just why he was so much slower um, in qualifying. And I don't think he's coming up with any answers, and uh, that's probably troubling. Next question for you, Scott from Thomas Knights, who says, On a track where Aston felt they would go better after Monza, how disappointing was this weekend and indeed their form since the summer break? Yeah, it's got to be a concern. Although I must say, when you hear them talk, they don't seem particularly um, reacting, reacting too strongly to it. And they keep saying that they feel that, you know, they've got a good car and they've got loads of developments coming and they aren't giving up on second in the championship. But I think they've got to be more worried about losing fourth to McLaren than they have any real business aiming to get ahead of Mercedes and and Ferrari. It's looking more and more like that Alonso podium at Zandvoort was a lot down to some Alonso magic and others underachieving than it was Aston Martin getting back to, to where it was earlier in this season they did have bigger expectations for this weekend it didn't play out like that in fact basically from first practice Alonso realized that they were in for a for a tougher weekend than than they wanted it just seems that they've been outgunned in terms of development Um, there's been all sorts of theories around their car performance this year have they been done by some you know flexi wing clamp downs there was the Alonso theory about the tires wasn't there around Silverstone so I just think that they've been they just haven't been able to maintain their level of performance and they've been outgunned by others who have done a better job. Um, we can't say with any real certainty whether there has been a, an impact on their form from the technical directive that's now enforced with the, the, the flexi wings. There were some, some suggestions that Aston was one of the teams being targeted by it, but it is disappointing. It is a concern. I feel like there's season risks going into a, a low ebb and the fact that Aston Martin team boss Mike Crack was at a pains to point out that the big takeaway from this weekend was that Lance Stroll was okay, obviously after his massive crash in in qualifying that meant he withdrew from the race. It sort of says everything, really. It was a horror show of a weekend. And Alonso even got in on the act as well, didn't he, with a remarkably rare error-strewn race with the, the trip across the kerb, missing the pit lane entry, and then the, the off in the Grand Prix as well. 
Yeah, a number of errors from Alonso. Very out of character for him. Comfortably his worst performance of the season just in terms of his execution, although it was a, a difficult weekend anyway. But yeah, very rare to see uh, Alonso doing that. But yeah, I think Aston's performance is entirely out of line with what we've been seeing recently. That's the trend. Next question on a related topic I'll take from Tom Bannister. He says, when will Aston Martin have to make a decision about whether Stroll can stay at the team or if they have to look elsewhere? They surely can't go into 2026 with him if they have serious ambitions. Well, we should say, obviously, unfortunate weekend for Stroll. He obviously didn't do the race after the uh, after the Saturday crash. He was having quite a, a tricky weekend prior to that. They have said he'll be there next year. So as far as we're concerned, he's confirmed. He's not a driver without ability. I'd still like to see Lance Stroll refine that ability more because I still think he's a bit more raw, perhaps, than a driver in their seventh season should be. But it all comes down to, ultimately, what Lawrence Stroll wants to do and what Lance Stroll wants to do. Ultimately, the Strolls own the team, and as long as Lance is desired in the team by the ownership, he will be in there. And he's, he's not a bad driver, but certainly they can, they can do better. But I imagine there is a discussion to be had about 2025. Let's see where that goes. Mark, the final question for you from Sean Murphy. Were there any teams that you think should have taken more of a risk with the VSC? Any strategic options people missed out on? I don't think so. I think, um, obviously, um, Ferrari couldn't do anything. They they had to maintain track position. Um, McLaren, I mean, they, they, they saw um, George come in from ahead of them. Um, so if they'd done the same... They would still been behind, um, and at least this way, doing what they did, uh, give them a possibility of staying in front, and that, that turned out to work for them. Um, really, you know, in that group at the front, it was it was only Mercedes which had nothing to lose by doing it, and they were, you know, they, they were absolutely correct in doing it with both cars, and it almost worked for them uh, it, in in terms of winning the race. So that was just one of those situations where. It de- doing what the right thing is depends on where you are and what your situation is. And I, I, I think everybody did the logical thing, actually. Yeah, and when you've got such a condensed pack as well, there's very, very little room to manoeuvre. So it does mean there's not much potential for flourishes when it comes to strategy. Well, thanks as always for your questions. And of course, thanks to Scott and Mark for their words of wisdom. There's plenty more of those on therace.com, including Mark's race analysis, so lots to read there. Don't forget to have a listen to our other podcasts, including the Race F1 Tech Show with the legendary Gary Anderson. And if video is your thing, head to our YouTube channel. The Japanese Grand Prix is just a few days away, so stay with us for everything you need to know from Suzuka. The Athletic.